Welcome everyone to a community conversation today that I've been looking forward to for some time. I have with me Kyle Shackmuth, the Assistant Director of Digital Accessibility at Harvard University and a Rising Star Award winner to boot. So welcome, Kyle. Thanks for having me, John. So I, I, you made it clear to me that you didn't see this as a chance to talk about yourself, but I can't help but want to know what's your story? Um, I mean, how does one make the journey to become uh, an expert in digital accessibility at a place like Harvard? What's your story? So I certainly learned how to become an advocate for myself in accessibility uh, a long, long, long time ago uh, with my my parents and, and teachers and educators that I worked with because I needed technology and even non-technology to be accessible for me to use it. So um, from a very early age, I was used to asking for and and um, making sure my teachers and my community knew what I needed and, and getting what I needed. As I grew into my career, I've long worked in IT organizations in higher education. And originally, I was not charting a course to work full-time in digital accessibility. But again, in order to make sure I was able to access things, I picked up skills to learn how to make things accessible. And it was a, a good example of where opportunity existed and my skills were a good match. And uh, it's, it's been a, something I've been able to grow into. In terms of Harvard, it's a really uh, awesome place to get to work and there's no shortage of opportunities to work and play and research in the digital space. And so it's been a, a great place to get to work on digital access and grow a program. What do you mean by digital accessibility? Digital accessibility is making sure that all of the technology that we build and create and we buy is usable to people with disabilities. And we want that usability to be at the same time and with the same ease of use, right? Having an a disability shouldn't be a barrier to participation in the programs, services, and activities that our universities provide. So for IT leaders and CIOs, digital accessibility is an area where we have the opportunity to lead our campus conversation, to be a really trusted partner and a leader on our campuses promoting inclusion for people with disabilities through the technology products that we buy, that we build, and how we train everyone to create websites, documents, digital resources, disseminating research, uh, all of those areas are opportunities for us to lead. And just like all the other kinds of technologies that we work with, it's a great opportunity to be partners. So we might lead as the technology experts, but we get to partner with our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging offices, or our communications offices, or human resources, our faculty, our provosts and presidents for governance, right? It's a great opportunity where IT can, can be a knowledgeable expert leader uh, in that digital inclusion space. What advice do you have for campuses where the case hasn't already been made to elevate and prioritize digital accessibility? Digital accessibility is certainly an area of work that is growing across our campuses where many campuses have, especially large universities, have a role where that is someone's primary focus, but that's certainly not the case everywhere. It does give opportunities to grow into new spaces, 
But even in campuses where we have either a person or teams of people who work on digital access, we partner with our student disability and accessibility support offices who work a lot with our students or our employees with disabilities. Because even if a campus doesn't have a dedicated office, they surely have people with disabilities trying to use or access their content. Statistics show that approximately one in five people worldwide has some form of disability and no one wants to instantly take off 20% of their potential audience for students or members of the public or employees at a university. So even if it's early days for a particular campus, there is certainly a need uh, and, and there will continue to be a growing need uh, as, as populations age and as we have more diverse campus communities. So Educause has tried to prioritize digital accessibility and accessibility of all kinds. What has Educause gotten right when it comes to digital accessibility? You know, and if you had that magic wand that you could change one thing <laughs> that we could do better, what would that be? So Educause has done some really good things in recent years for digital accessibility and the higher education community generally. I especially think one of the biggest ways we serve as a resource to the community through Educause is the IT Accessibility Community Group. It's just a really great resource for people who do this work on our many, many member campuses. We have hundreds of people that join us every month to meet up. We have thousands of people, many of whom actively participate in our community forums. And whether people are veterans to the field and they've been around a long time or they're brand new in their first digital accessibility role, that space and that community of people wanting to make higher education more accessible is just an invaluable resource for professionals working in this niche of the field. All have room to grow in what we do. And I think a, a great space where Educause can lead and continue to lead into the future is helping be a bridge and a conduit between technology companies and organizations and member institutions and the roles that it plays in helping uh, set standards or expectations or guide people to resources uh, in formalized ways or programmatic ways. I think about uh, programs that Educause runs in other areas like privacy or security, um, research in all sorts of different areas and IT accessibility is one of those where there's uh, certainly immense opportunity to, to do so, and especially among our vendor partners that we work with uh, so often as educational institutions. You know, there, there are thousands of us, thousands of member institutions, and we all have legal and moral and ethical uh, kind of obligations to think about this digital inclusion work, and yet many of us do the same work repetitively across institution after institution. And there are so many opportunities for deeper collaboration and deeper coordination uh, so that we reduce some of those systemic inefficiencies in trying to make sure students and faculty and staff get what they need, but we're not being redundant over and over again across institutions. I'd also like to add one of the areas where our community group has been able to work well with some facilitation from Educause and partnering with groups like those doing work in IT security was the most recent iteration of the HECVAT released last fall, where 
we partnered, the IT Accessibility Community Group partnered with the HECVAT, the Higher Education Community Vendor Assessment Toolkit, which traditionally has done IT security screening of third-party vendors. And it now has incorporated the ability to screen vendor products for accessibility. So it's an example of a shared assessment framework that was developed by a lot of awesome volunteer experts in IT accessibility and the the structures and the resources and the connections in place through Educause and its partner networks has enabled uh, higher education organizations that use that tool to screen vendors to now do a more thorough assessment for their IT security and privacy practices, as well as their digital accessibility practices. You're very kind, Kyle, to not mention the example that you gave in your featured presentation at the annual conference last year. Uh, this is the story of uh, Educause um, attempting to be very responsible and put signs on restrooms as a diversity, equity, and inclusion move to point out that the restrooms were, were assigned as, as individuals deem appropriate. And you pointed out sadly, that we put these signs over the Braille on the bathrooms. And I told you I was going to tell that story as often as I could, because I think it's it's such a metaphor for the challenge of working in this field, because you can try to do the right thing and do it in a way that's accidentally wrong. <laughs> you, can, you can do the right thing and then find that as you solve that, there's a whole nother level of challenges that you've just revealed. It, it, it's a challenge, right? <laughs> I'm not sure that was a question. <laughs> it's totally a challenge and an opportunity, right? Uh, there are many different ways that we can uh, value diversity and attention to different ways that we think about diverse members of our community. And you're totally right. At the, the most recent annual convention, some of the restrooms, men were on the left and women were on the right. And in other, other locations, they were reversed. And I went to a, a place to find one and it was covered up, the sign that, that listed. And I, I needed to know which one I was trying to go into. Um, so, you know, someone was trying to do something responsive and to address community need. And they weren't thinking about a different need that was there, right? And we all have opportunities to do these sorts of things uh, all day long. The important thing was as soon as I pointed out uh, as an anecdote, right? It was, oh my gosh, we need, we need to fix that. What are, what are we doing, right? So it's a, it was a good learning opportunity. For us. Yes, thank you. So Kyle, you've been so active at Harvard, um, but I know you've also been working at the national and, and even international level. Could you talk a little bit about those efforts? By far, whether I'm at Harvard or beyond, the, the primary role most often is still awareness raising about accessibility. So many well-meaning people that I meet in academia or in associated areas aren't aware that digital accessibility is a thing. They will see someone with a disability using technology and say, that's great. I can confidently assume that someone with a disability can use my technology because I've seen someone with a disability use technology. And that is absolutely the case if you've designed it or built it right. So awareness raising is absolutely the single biggest part of any work that we do, uh, reminding people that it's a thing, training people that accessibility is important. In addition, uh, I really enjoy the opportunity to be in the classroom to teach. And there's are many opportunities to teach about digital access, 
across the many disciplines that we have at our institutions. I'm able to speak with students who study education and the value of digital inclusion for that, or in law schools, or in communications, or those working in government. Or if you're learning in the digital humanities about telling stories or uh, doing archival research and sharing it with the world, there are opportunities to learn skills for digital access. There are also opportunities for our curriculum. There are huge organizations that focus on training the next generation of computer scientists and programmers to think about accessibility in their programming work. And finally, we do tons of collaboration and work with policymakers, with government officials, and with standards bodies about digital accessibility to make sure that they are reflecting the most up-to-date and cutting-edge technologies so that people with disabilities aren't left behind. For example, many of our schools will state that they want to meet the WCAG 2.0 requirements. It's the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. But those 2.0 requirements were codified before mobile devices were in wide use. So institutions aiming for those standards aren't accounting for accessibility on mobile devices. And I would bet that makes up a really large percentage of technology interactions on our campus or with the public. So it's important that we take government policy, technical regulations, and make sure they're always up to date or as up to date as they can be so that we're not leaving people with disabilities behind. As you describe the great work you're doing at Harvard, I, I can't help but imagine one or two people saying, well, that's all well and good if you're Harvard. Um, we're not Harvard. What, what do you say to those institutions um, as far as not being sort of overwhelmed by how much work there is to do and figure out if, if Harvard's struggling with it, then, then how, how, why even try? There's certainly no denying that there is no shortage of work to be done in the digital accessibility space. The good news is that not everything is related to funding or the size of an organization. I think it's critically important that that's why we work together as a higher education community, because many of us use the same vendors, the same platforms, the same products across our institutions. And if those third parties that we work with are able to make changes for technology accessibility, that benefits the entire community no matter the size of your resources. So it's a benefit for everyone. There are also things that can be done with time and effort. Again, uh, that's probably tight across every institution type, no matter your funding sources. And there is no shortcut, no money can buy uh, value and importance of digital inclusion from executive leadership. I'm really fortunate that the president of our institution knows and understands and has a commitment to digital accessibility. And across our organization, uh, there are many people that value and make sure it gets attention and focus. Not everything can be solved with accessibility with throwing money at the problem. It doesn't hurt. But when you are doing a project for your department, building in time to make sure that that website released is accessible. It can take a little extra time or to make sure that your staff is trained on accessibility is great. Or when you're sending broadcast emails and to have a system that can make them accessible or to know the people that create them are trained how to do it properly. Uh, those are things that don't always take money, but they take time and attention and a commitment to doing things that will lead to more accessible content. 
this has me thinking about uh, the Harvard uh, accessible world. Uh, and I'd love you to talk a little bit about that because you just keep coming back again and again to these themes of awareness and communication. And this is one way of accomplishing that. Could you talk about that a little bit? So Harvard, the accessible world was a recent homepage takeover for the harvard.edu homepage. And it's still available for anyone to look at. It's called Harvard, the accessible world. And I'm sure there's a link or you can Google it there. And it shows content that is featured from across the entire institution that's focused on disability and inclusion for people with disabilities. My team did a really great job of adding some callouts that were called behind the designs that kind of mark up and visually show for site visitors ways that elements of the website that make it accessible to people with disabilities so that they're able to fully partake in the work. But the other part was that site is reflecting on the work of digital inclusion across our campus community. So the headline feature of that homepage represented deep space images of faraway galaxies and the many different points of light that come across through images that we get from space. And the team at the Center for Astrophysics was able to take those and turn them into sonifications so that those who couldn't see these deep breathtaking images were able to hear them and hear where there was more or less light or different wavelengths across huge sweeping images of the galaxy. They did it surely to help people with disabilities to able to access it, but they also did it because there were people on the team that required accessibility. They hired, they had people with disabilities that were researchers that just so happened to need this technology. So that's why it's so important that we have authentic representation in our organizations from people with disabilities because they're able to help inspire or build things that are going to make the work that we do, the research that our institutions do, more accessible to a wide variety of people. So that homepage featured content about education being made more accessible, human rights law through Harvard Project on Disability at the Harvard Law School, and a, a wide range of other aspects of accessibility. So it was a great feature to highlight work that was happening in the same way our web team does a great job of highlighting work on climate science or on Women's History Month or a wide variety of other topics. Disability and digital access was just another theme where there's widespread cross-discipline research. I'm imagining a, a job description for your job, and I'm wondering what the what the high priority capabilities are. Like, I imagine some days you're a uh, an evangelist. I imagine uh, somebody good at your job is probably also a diplomat, you know, who can take someone aside and say, I know you mean the right thing, but let me tell you if you, what, what are the, what are the three uh, roles that you think are most important to be successful in your line of work? Well, of course, there's no substitute for knowing about accessibility and being able to tell someone how technically to make their content accessible. So I'd say many other things are important, but at the end of the day, there's got to be the, the substance behind advising on accessibility. And I think a lot right alongside that technical expertise is knowing and being familiar with the lived experience of people with disabilities 
it helps if you are someone with a disability. I fit into that role and I consume accessible content all the time. But uh, there's no substitute, even if you are not a member of the disability community, knowing and being familiar with that experience uh, to be able to communicate that. I think it's really important to communicate, to be able to share why it is valuable and important. Like I said, so many people are still unfamiliar. And one of the great parts of what we do in higher education is that there's a lot of turnover in our communities every year with students, right? or with faculty and, and staff, our communities are constantly churning. And so even if we've communicated with some, we certainly haven't reached everybody in our community all the time. And then there's certainly an aspect of having a, a sensitivity towards um, governance and project management. And it is a relatively simple matter to make a website accessible. It's challenging to have a system in place that can make hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of websites accessible across very decentralized, autonomous organizations that for many good reasons have lots of autonomy in what they do. So um, having ways to communicate and to share and to govern those systems, train people on what they need to do, is uh, th those are some of the big areas important to accessibility from the time we've had to get to know each other, whether it's uh, at, at the uh, awards, whether it's meeting in the airport and talking. I, I have an image of you as a man with a sort of vast reservoirs of patience. Does it ever once in a while call for you to lose your patience? And what does that look like? I'm curious. <laughs> I try not to lose my patience because I think I'm more effective <laughs> uh, when I'm patiently communicating what needs to happen for accessibility. Uh, it's certainly frustrating as a member of the community. So I wear different hats. I promote digital access. I lead a team for digital access, but I'm also just a staff member. And so when I do encounter an accessibility barrier for a myriad of reasons, of course it's frustrating. And that's where it's nice to have a community and a culture that values inclusion so that it doesn't fall to one person. It's my job, I signed up for it, but it should never be the responsibility of random community member with a disability to own and lead the efforts to make something accessible to them. What a great reminder of, of the value of, of that kind of leadership. I, anybody who's known me for very long knows one of my favorite leadership quotes is the Lao Tzu one, which is that the great leader, when the work is done, the, the people say we did it ourselves. And so for, for you to make the, the work um, irreversible to make it part of a community. So what was maybe necessary to get it going isn't relying on one person's effort, um, which leads me to think about the, the Rising Star Award. So as, as the Rising Star Award recipient at Educause, you're part of a really impressive lineup. And I say that, you know, no pressure or, or anything, but uh, I'm just curious, what, what is the Rising Star Award as a community award? What does that what does that mean to you? And maybe where does your star go next? It was certainly a huge honor to receive the Rising Star Award last fall. It was a great exposure to the Educause community and the community of the Rising Star recipients is certainly um, probably the best part of the award in my book. I'm certainly inspired by the work that they do and the impact that they have on their communities spread across the, the country and the world and what they do for higher education. I certainly don't know where it goes next from here. 
as we've talked about many times today and previously, there is no shortage of opportunities to impact higher education and think about digital accessibility. That's certainly something that I think about a lot. Our community needs the experience of people with disabilities to be leaders in our community. So I, I hope to get to continue in those roles and to share my expertise where it's possible. And whether that's IT leadership or academic administration or teaching and research or some combination of all those things, uh, I guess I don't really know, but I'm, I'm excited to find out too. You talk so uh, so compellingly about the the power of positivity and the things that that can be done, but there are also pretty substantial obstacles in the path. So, what are the biggest obstacles for making the kind of progress that that we want to make? One of the biggest limitations that I often see in the work of accessibility is low expectations that we have for people with disabilities. So often, if if someone with decision-making authority does not have experience working with disabled communities or has a very limited experience of that, it's often written off as why should we spend time and money or effort and attention on this community? We are higher education. We are the ivory tower. We exclude people. We're for the elite. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, you know, education and the power and the transformational power of education uh, is for everybody and many people with visible or invisible disabilities. So being open to that and remembering that people with disabilities make up 20 to 25 percent of our population isn't something that can or should be ignored. So absolutely the expectation that disability accessibility is worth and valuable to do and to participate in is critical. As organizations get more mature, I think it's also really important that we as IT leaders know where we stand on accessibility and be able to communicate that effectively to our peers, to our leaders, to our stakeholders. 100% of every product that institutions buy or build probably isn't fully accessible. And I often see messaging across institutions that can be a little overzealous and saying, we want it to be so, we're doing it, it's done, we're totally accessible. And I think it's very valuable, even if it's maybe not shouted from the rooftops, for leaders and IT product owners to be able to know where limitations lie and where there's still work to be done so that it can be managed like any other project or any other technical debt that we might accrue in, in our IT shops. As you look ahead to some of the emerging technologies, um, what are you most excited about when it comes to digital accessibility tools? I'm excited about the tools that make it easier for a non-technical expert to make born accessible content. There are and should be people at our universities that know about digital accessibility and are experts, but we can't rely on that expertise to make everything accessible. We need the authoring tools that we use every day to make things accessible by default. Our website platforms, our learning management systems, our document creation platforms, it's critical that those make things accessible natively so that we don't have to spend time going back and doing more work to make something accessible. So I'm excited about platforms 
and plugins that make it easier for non-expert content authors to build accessible content from the start. And I'm a little weary of sometimes platforms and, and systems can advertise themselves as really easy quick fixes. And we certainly see a lot of those that say, don't worry, you got to pay us pretty much nothing and we'll make it really easy to make all of your stuff accessible. And I promise I would be shouting from the rooftops if I knew of something that could do that today. Um, but it's still more promise than practical reality at this time. So I think we need to understand what our limitations are with what we can do today, but try to make it really easy for non-experts to make content accessible the first time. And I'll take you up on your offer. And when that happens and you start shouting from the rooftops, we'll do a volume two community conversation with Kyle Schachmann to talk about it. That would be awesome. A lot of people lean on the idea of reasonable accommodation as a key institutional strategy. Is it one that you recommend? Um, I find a lot of non-experts hang their hat on reasonable accommodation. And someone would say, well, what do you do? Well, we make reasonable accommodations, you know, which is essentially reactive and not at all related to design. What do you talk about when it comes to reasonable accommodation? Reasonable accommodations are necessary and absolutely something that our institutions need to do and they must do under the law. We must provide accommodations where needed to people with disabilities. But it is something that people can often rely on a little too much. If something isn't accessible, no worries. There's an accommodations office. They'll handle it, right? And that makes things uh, one-offs, <laughs> individual efforts that aren't addressing the root of a problem. So when we own IT accessibility products, when there's a product owner, right? Uh, having that product owner be responsible for knowing accessibility limitations and being prepared to provide accommodations, that's great. It's critically important. But as we try to find ways with technology that we can reach more learners and distribute our our expertise or our research at scale at larger things, individualized accommodations by their very definition can't scale in the same way. So it becomes even more important to make things universally designed from the start. So yes, we need to provide accommodations where necessary, but we can probably reduce the amount or the kinds of some accommodations that might be required if we're thinking about those needs upfront. I really enjoyed the conversation. Kyle, thank you so much for being with us today to talk about digital accessibility. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, John.